0: you glad to be in church this morning, man, to worship the Lord, to have you guys here, it's a wonderful, wonderful Sunday together, and uh, so this is Family First Sunday, and so you'll see a few kids that are in here, uh, if you see, if you're a kid in here, will you just raise up your hand real quick, hey, um, also, uh, those that are sitting around those, those kids, give them high fives and tell them that you're glad that they're in here, And this is an important part. Why do we do this as a church? Uh, Because we do, some of you are not kids high fiving. Okay? Kids at heart, good, Uh, but I'm glad that you guys are excited this morning. Uh, Why do we do this? Why do we do Family First Sunday? Because we believe that it's very, very important for families to worship together. And so kids uh, typically go into children's ministry and break out to different places. By the time that they're in their high school years, they don't know what it's like to sit in church, they don't know what their parents do, and they don't feel like they belong in here. And so we're glad that we do this every, uh, every first Sunday of the month. This is Family First Sunday. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, let me make an opening announcement before I get to the message and uh, I'm so glad that you guys are here uh, but how many of you know that we've been working for about a year on the project next door which is the social hall. Uh, we have done a ton of work and let me give a few thank yous uh, before we do this uh, but Gary Debose, would you just raise your hand please. Uh, Gary Thorne would you raise your hand and then Richard Morris listen there have been a lot of people that have stepped foot and genuinely worked on this but these three guys carried the majority of the load uh, to be able to get this done and so I want to say a big thank you to them can y'all give them a hand and just say thank you And I also just want to give you kind of an update. Um, over the past year, uh, we have spent about $65,000 renovating this space. Now, that sounds like a lot, but in reality, this would be a, a easy $200,000 project if it wasn't for the generosity of... Those individuals giving up their Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, and for those of you that are volunteers that have stepped in, uh, there's electrical, there are beams, there's so much that's been done, and we're really close to being done. But here's where we are. You know how you get to that part of the project where it gets expensive? That's where we're at. And so this is me coming to you as a church and saying, we need your help to finish this. Over the past year, we've taken, and so how did we come up with the money to be able to do this? Uh, When we paid off the land, uh, we immediately began to take that $5,000 a month and put it towards this project. We've done a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, so that it didn't uh, hurt us as a church financially. And so we're at the end of this. And so we need to raise about $40,000 to finish this. Now, listen, that sounds like a really big number, but let me kind of give you the math and the understanding to this. Okay, this will cover appliances. This will apl- uh, give us cabinets, uh, door dividers, which are uh, going to be garage doors, and this will allow us to divide those two spaces at times and to open it up very freely. If you're going to come this afternoon, you'll be able to get to see all that's been done in there. Uh, it's really cool. We have bathroom doors now. Apparently that's important in some churches, Uh, so uh, we have locks on bathroom doors, there is still one awkward bathroom with two toilets in it, that is not, that's not a buddy toilet, okay, can we just, I feel like I need to say that, we're having dividers put in there, uh, so, but if... No, I'm not even gonna go there, uh, so it's just awkward when you see that. Uh, but this, uh, we're, we're really hoping uh, that we exceed this so that we can buy some more cha- chairs, some more tables, and some more kitchen utensils, so that we can be a fully functioning. Fellowshipping church this is what we want to accomplish so how does this work why why do you do this on a sunday morning listen for the next two months in november and december we're hoping to raise all of this okay here's how this works this church averages somewhere around 250 to 300 people on any given Sunday, okay? So there's an early service that takes place. It's really weird to see all of you guys early today. It almost creeps me out just a little bit because y'all usually come in at the first song, so I'm glad that you guys are here early this morning. Uh, but here's how this works. We know some of these are kids and some of this applies differently, but if 250 people gave $160 this Would be completely done now think about that it's amazing that God provides a church that when we accomplish things together when we do things together this makes it so much more manageable the reality is if everyone does not participate and that number drops down to a hundred people that puts the load to $400 a person now let me be just very transparent and very real with you the reality is that in most churches 10% or if at best 20% pull 80 to 90% of the load within the church. Look, The reality for Pooler Bible Church is we are not that church and we should not become that church. We are a church that does this together and when things like this come up, we take it on and we address it and we get it done. Why do we want to get this done before the end of the year? Listen, we've got great plans for next year. And we're tired of continually paying this little portion, this little portion, and we're ready for it to be completed and done. And so I'm excited that you can do this. Uh, The reality is here's what we would ask you to do if you're going to give. If you have an offering envelope, uh, you can put finish the project, okay? That's all you need to put on it. If you want to give online, go under the other portion of things and type in finish the project. And this will allow us everything that comes in towards this will not go towards general ties or budgets. This will go directly towards that project. This will get us appliances, cabinets, the garage doors that are going to be dividers. And if we have a little bit of money left over, we'll do kitchen utensils and we'll make sure that we have some chairs over there uh, to make sure that we're covered. Okay, so who's excited? Okay, good. I'm ready. I'm ready for this part to be done. So over the next two months, if you'll help us out with that, that would be a wonderful blessing. Okay, so it's interesting that this morning's message is on frustrations. Now, for some, I may have just frustrated you in the first five or ten minutes because, bless God, the pastor asked for money to help out the church, right? So this morning, I want to talk to you about frustrations. And to give us kind of a working definition to walk into this, The definition that we're going to use this morning is this, the feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of inability to change or achieve something. Now, can we be honest and just say that our world is more and more frustrated than it ever has been? One of the things that's happened here recently is uh, we we bought Carly a truck for when she turns 16 in two years, uh, got a great deal on it, but this truck has is an 04 with 59,000 miles on it. In 2019, this truck began to sit, and so if you've ever kind of woke up a truck or woke up a car that's been sitting, you have to do this mildly, and so Against my better judgment, I've been driving this truck slow, which pains me on all fronts because I feel like the gas pedal likes to be all the way down. Anybody with me? Um, and so it's interesting that in this truck, I've had a few people that have gotten frustrated with me for driving slow. And so the... <laughs> <laughs> wrong place to Amen so i was coming off of uh pooler parkway onto highway 80 i'm in this little single cab ford ranger which i look like i'm stuffed in and falling out of and so it's coming up and i'm trying to drive slow as to not like kill the gas mileage and kind of wake this truck up and this guy is on my bumper and listen it's not a long bed like i reached back and scratched his arm i mean that's how (laughs) close that we were in this and so he was coming up on me and coming up on me and then finally he gets on highway 80 and he takes the outer lane and he looks at me and he gives me a gun to the head symbol as if to say you need to kill yourself now to which my response was humble i'm going to no, no, i'm going to be honest with you my response was come back here let's talk about this Right? I wanted to pray for him, but I wanted to pray really close so to him. Right, So when you think about this, there's so much frustration that genuinely takes place in every situation, in every place right now. And so here's some of the common frustrations. And so I'll warn you, some of these may frustrate you. But how many of you have ever forgot a password? Listen, don't get angry at me. I didn't forget, Uh, I just brought it up in church. But how many of you go, I know that I can remember this. I know, listen, can we just save everybody some understanding? Write it down. And then you go, no, 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 you don't know. Somebody's going to steal my password. Can I tell you? Very few people break into your home to steal your password, right? So this is just a helpful thing. Um, Another thing. That frustrates us is intermittent cell service if you're like me I talk on the phone a lot uh, usually to the tune of about eight and a half to nine hours a month that's how much I talk on a phone and so when intermittent cell service especially when you're in a conversation and it goes something like this you get to the serious part and they go "Mm, mm, mm, wow (laughs) and you go hey Can you repeat that? I know that it's very serious, but can you repeat that really bad moment in your life for me? (laughs) You go, oh, let's relive it over and over. But intermittent cell service frustrates us. The next thing that frustrates us, phone battery life. Why is it that we can send a man to the moon, but we can't get a phone battery that lasts all day, right? So this is something that's frustrating. How many of you get frustrated when there's not enough legroom in a car or on a plane? You just immediately just start feeling it begin to kind of well up in you. And so the next one is a genuine frustration of mine. Uh, but how many of you get frustrated with autocorrect? Listen, I don't know who Siri is, but she and I have had a really long conversation. And it goes like this. Siri, I said what I said. Send what I said. I don't want to send what you think I should said. I said it. I'm a southerner. Sometimes it doesn't work well, but I'm a grown man. Send my text. To which she responds, I don't understand what you're saying. (laughs) Autocorrect. And then Traffic. And some of these are frustrations. As we come into this holiday season, we understand that traffic is going to be a little bit more intense for Black Friday shopping and for all these things. And immediately our blood pressure begins to go through the roof. This morning in our study on Mark, I want to take you to a passage where the people are frustrated with Jesus. To give this frustration, this genuine frustration, there's a little bit of background that we must do. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this in our sermon series on Mark. And so the first thing that they are frustrated, the religious leaders of that time are genuinely frustrated with Jesus because he forgave sins. They said, this is the only thing that you can't do. This is what God can do. And they had this list of how they would decipher whether or not he was the Messiah. They said, you can do healings, you can do miracles, you can cast out demons, but this is too much. This is too far. So they got frustrated. You think that you're God? To which Jesus' response is, I am. The next thing he frustrated them with is that he called a tax collector as a disciple. Listen, Jesus was supposed to come here and affirm the religious and tell them, you're doing such a great job. Join my team and let's see this thing continue forward. But Jesus called sinners. He called tax collectors. And even further, he went and ate dinner with the people that were sinners and tax collectors. So you can imagine that many reasons that for the religious leaders to be frustrated. Frustrated. The reality is that most of us in this church, we would say, if Jesus were to walk into those doors and sit on the front row, all of us would look at him with welcome open arms and receive him greatly. The reality is this, if Jesus had the conversation with each and every one of us like he did with everybody around us, we would be frustrated with Jesus. Jesus, why are you pointing out my sins? Why are you pointing out the things that I'm not doing well, the things that I'm not living for Christ fully in? So this morning, you may be a little bit frustrated, but the hope and the goal is that by the end of this sermon, by the end of this message, you walk out of here with a weight lifted off of you. the first time in historical context the message began to change jesus no longer in the temple was the place of worship jesus actually took the gospel message to the people that needed it the most and he cared about it and it was upsetting those that were around him going listen we want to know god but we don't think these people should So this new frustration comes out in Mark chapter 2 and verse 18. He said, now John's disciples, this is John the Baptist. This is the one that baptized Jesus, that prepared the way for who Jesus was. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. The question is posed to Jesus in the midst of an understanding where they're going, hey, why aren't you participating in this? See, we have to understand that there were three pillars of Judaism. There were three things that every religious person actively pursued. The first was prayer. It was an assumed understanding that every person that was a part of Judaism would actively pray. They would spend time in prayer. This would be an active part of their routine. The next pillar of Judaism would be Thanksgiving. Not the holiday that we have in a couple of weeks, but they would be thankful all year long. They would continually look to God and say, God, we are truly thankful for everything that you do on a daily basis. And the third pillar would be fasting. This was an active part of their community. And so listen, they had one fast for the Day of Atonement that was an important thing that was a true 24-hour fast that everybody had to participate in or they would not be considered in good standing with their faith. And then there were three other types of fast that they would do as a religious community. And what John the Baptist is doing is falling under one of these. The first type that they would do is lamented national tragedies. An example of this would be the destruction of the temple with King Nebuchadnezzar. Imagine that we would do this in the midst and say, we're going to fast for the war that is taking place within Israel or the war that's taking place within Ukraine. We just want to fast and genuinely pray for those people. It would be similar context. The next type of fasting would be this. If there was a time of crisis... They would would impose a fast, such as a plague, a famine, or a war. The temple and the the Jewish church would come together and say, We as a congregation are going to fast so that we are close to the Lord and that He would know that we love Him and care for Him and are lifting Him up. The third fast would be self-imposed. This could be any number of reasons, which is probably where we found John the Baptist fasting. Most of these fasts would be considered sun-up to sundown fasts. It would be something that would take place, as, as you would not eat from sun-up to sundown. The only one that was a true 24-hour fast was on the Day of Atonement. So this question comes to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders say this: Why aren't you fasting as a sign of solidarity to John the Baptist? And supporting us as the Pharisees. So you're not fitting in with everything that we're supposed to be doing as a congregation. Imagine Jesus being put in this spot going, Man, this is kind of crazy. You guys are questioning all my religious practices and I am God. The insinuation was this. If you want people to take you seriously... You need to fast like us. Not only do you need to fast, you need to make everybody aware that you're fasting and you're fasting appropriately. This is the social acceptable side of the Pharisees and John the Baptist. An interesting fun fact, at this point, the Pharisees were on board with John the Baptist. They kind of questioned and said, man, why would Jesus not participate? John the Baptist baptized him. Why was he breaking this code? Why is he doing this? So the question was probably more likely posed something like this. Jesus, if you want to fit in with us, the religious leaders, the well-respected individuals, you need to fast and let people know that this is an active part of your religious life. So you can genuinely see the frustration that the religious leaders would be posing. Jesus, get in line. Do things the way that we have always done them and everybody will receive you greatly. Jesus' response is this. In verse 19 and 20. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. If you read this passage of Scripture, and you don't understand everything that's taking place, the religious leaders were probably in that same same understanding. Why is he talking about a wedding? We told him not to eat. Listen, to understand context of a wedding celebration or a wedding ceremony is that if this was the first marriage, this wedding feast would go on for seven days. Imagine that they would celebrate the bride and groom and they would feast together and everybody would give helpful advice to the people that are getting married. For a widow remarrying, it would be three days of a celebration. Imagine that everybody would come together and feast and fellowship and eat. So the illustration that Jesus is giving is how many of you have been to a wedding recently? How many of you want to go to a wedding? How many of you are awake? Okay, good. So imagine this. Imagine that you get invited to this grand wedding. There's 20 to 30 people in the bridal party. It's this beautiful place. The venue is perfect. And then imagine that the reception is going to be this grand feast of great Southern comfort food. As everybody comes in, because we all know that weddings make us hungry, right? As everybody has gone through the service and the pastor has delivered a really long wedding sermon, homily, and the vows, and everything was beautiful, but now it's time for us to eat. Imagine as you were welcomed into that reception, the people go, man, we're so glad you're here, but we need to let you know that we are fasting. How many of you would go, greatest reception ever? How many of you would be mad? Don't lie in church, people. The reality is this. Jesus is telling them, I'm with you. I'm here. The celebration is right here in front of us. He said, you don't need to fast right now because you need to listen to me. Claim was this. He was the Messiah, the bridegroom of God. He was God. So understand the reason that fasts take place is so that you would be close to God. You would eliminate distractions. You would eliminate everything that's around you so that you would be able to solely focus on God. Here's a fun fact you don't need to fast to get closer to God when he is in the room with you. That's what Jesus is claiming. There's going to be a time for fasting, but right now you should be celebrating in this presence. The understanding is that when Jesus is gone, that after he is crucified on the cross, that will be the time to fast again. But while he is here, you are to celebrate. And can you imagine how tough it would have been for the religious leaders to hear this? So if that doesn't confuse them enough or frustrate them enough, then Jesus gives them two simple parables. The first in verse 21 where he says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. Now understand a little bit of context because this isn't that they would have an outfit for every day of the week. They would have one robe, one garment, one outer garment that they would wear continually until it tore apart. So they would fix this over and over and over and over again. So one of the rookie mistakes that would have been made was to put something brand new on something that was old. It wouldn't stretch properly. It would tear and make even greater of a hole. It would be silly. And everyone would know how silly it was because that hole would reappear. Jesus gives them the clarity of this: "It's silly for you to fast while I'm with you, and you can be close to me now." Second parable that Jesus lays out is this: "And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, then the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed." And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wine skins. If you understand the fermentation process of wine turning into, the, uh, turning into wine, the understanding is that you wouldn't put a bunch of new stuff in with something that's already fermenting because it would expand and burst the thing that was trying to hold it together. So here's what Jesus' point is. The new patch and the new wine are incompatible with the old cloth and the old wineskins. And if the attempt is made to combine them, the new substance will destroy the old. Jesus is telling them in today's terms, it's time to leave Judaism everything that you've been taught, everything that you've known for your whole entire life, it's time to leave it and follow me. This is tough to grasp. Have you ever had that aha moment where maybe every something that you taught that was so simple wasn't correct? I always go back to a uh, really spiritual movie With Adam Sandler called the Water Boy. Where's Mama taught him so many different things? The term medulla oblongata (laughs) comes to mind. Mama's wrong. This would be what Jesus was telling the religious leaders. He would be telling them, things are changing before us, and it's time to follow me. Imagine believing something your whole life, only to have it upset and changed. The crazy part is, up to this point, it wasn't that the religious leaders were absolutely wrong. They just weren't the most right. You ever taken your driver's license test and all four answers are right, but they're looking for the most right? That's what Jesus is clarifying them for the religious leaders. So you can imagine the frustration in that moment where they were looking at Jesus mad as they could possibly be frustrated with the words that were coming out of his mouth continually. So how do we deal with frustration how do we deal with these moments because listen as the world that's around us is continually growing more and more frustrated we as the church need to appease that and push that aside and so how to deal with it i was reading an article by choosing therapy that gave some good uh, secular terms that we can apply for the church The first way to overcome frustration and the first thing that could have taken place in this passage of scripture is this. Get active. Those that are busy doing things are not typically easily frustrated. Do you realize that maybe one of the great reasons that you're so frustrated is because you're sitting on the sidelines evaluating what everybody else is doing. God didn't call us to be spectators. God didn't call us to be sideline individuals hoping somebody else would do this. If the Pharisees had responded and said, you know what, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to change everything about me and followed Christ, frustration would have ended at that moment. Instead, they thought their opinions were more important than Jesus. Listen, it's easy for us to look back and to judge the Pharisees and the religious leaders as the bad guys in Scripture. But the reality is most of us at the church think the exact same way. When I was studying for my degree and my master's degree, I came across a professor said these words, he said, I know what you think that you know, but if you come to a place in scripture that reveals something different, you need to change your belief. Listen, the only source of truth is this. This is where we get that source from. Listen, as eloquent as somebody can say it, as much as an important as your household has taught it, if it doesn't measure up to this, it's wrong. Your opinions are not more important than Jesus' words. Listen, if you don't think that this is taking place in our society, look at the movement that's taking place in churches that are completely abandoning truth. One of the things that's taken place in many churches in in this community and around us is that the church has become about the people and what their wants and what their desires are. Can you imagine if Jesus said, hey, I just came here to do whatever you guys want to do. The next thing, after getting active, talking it through. Be open-minded to change if scripture leads you to. Don't put things as hills to die on. It's interesting that one of the things that as I was thinking through this this morning as I was getting ready to preach, one of the things in the 80s and 90s, and you may remember this, is that, during the hippies and the long-haired movement and all these different things like that, one of the most identifying things is if you went to church and accepted Christ, the first thing that they would tell you is that you need to cut your hair. Now listen, I took that a little too serious. It's crazy to think. The reality is, Scripture should change us from the inside Let me deal with frustrations in the church. One of the things that kills a church quicker than anything is frustrations in the church. So let me challenge you and encourage you in a little way, in in some little ways this week. The first thing that I would challenge you is to overcome frustrations in the church is this, get used to being uncomfortable in church. And we go to church thinking that everything's going to be comfortable, everything's going to be perfect, everything's going to be this great, hunky-dory atmosphere. I love the Paul Tripp quote that says this, I'm convinced that the life and ministry of a leader who is marked by a low-grade, grumbling feelings of dissatisfaction or conscious complaint indicates a foundational misunderstanding of the nature of the church and ministry calling. He said, church life was not designed to be comfortable. What is the church? It's a chosen gathering of unfinished people still grappling with the selfishness of sin and the seduction of temptation, living in a fallen world. Where there is deception and dysfunction all around, there is nothing comfortable or easy about this plan. It's crazy to think this. So many times we get frustrated with somebody else in church because they're not far enough down their journey like what we think that they should be. Now listen, this is in no way a pass for you not to be growing spiritually. One of the best ways that you can do this is by being involved with our community groups. Listen, as much as I would love to tell you that my 30-minute message gives you all that you need throughout the week, it doesn't. You need to continually be in Scripture. time for us to get a little bit uncomfortable in church. One of the things that I love is that one of the ladies that does announcements, Alicia, is really uncomfortable in front of you guys. Week after week after week after week she does it because she's willing to be uncomfortable so that you would know what's going on in this church. Man, We've stopped taking steps to be uncomfortable. We get comfortable enough to complain way too much in church. I love the the illustration or, or the story. Francis Chan, who's this great mega church pastor and written tons of books. One of his dear faithful members walked up to him and said, Francis, I didn't like the worship at church today. And to which Chan replied this, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you today. Jesus was making them very uncomfortable to question their beliefs. I want you to understand, there's results of churches that are too comfortable. As I was reading this past week, the 2020 Faith Communities Today study found that the median congregation in the United States stood at 65 people. This is down from 137 two decades ago. The same report came out in 2023, and that 65 is now down to 60 people in one year. You know what the common problem in those churches were? Everybody got way too comfortable. This is what we should do. This is how we should do it. This is all the things that we should be doing. And if you don't fit in, then you're not welcome here. Listen, in no way, shape, or form should Pooler Bible Church ever get comfortable Because there is a lost and dying world that it is uncomfortable to go to. And when you deal with sin, when you deal with sharing Christ continually, it's going to be uncomfortable. Look, one of the main reasons that people say, I don't share my faith is this. I'm worried that it's going to frustrate somebody. Can I tell you? In some senses it would, but it's a good frustration. Being frustrated can be a good thing, giving you a little bit of breath, a little bit of off the hook, but it's very short-lived. If you're frustrated that you are not sharing the gospel enough, continually be frustrated. If you're continually frustrated going, man, I had the opportunity to share Christ with that person and I didn't, then listen, that frustration is good. If you're frustrated about the sin that's in people's lives and you genuinely want to lovingly help, that's a good frustration. you use it the right way, it can be good. But sadly, most people in churches use it just like the Pharisees did. Let me close with this thought. Question is the same for us this morning. The question for us is very simple. Will you forsake business as usual usual, and join the wedding celebration? Will you stop allowing everything around you to define you? Or will you be defined by knowing and living for Christ no matter what? This is the only conclusion that we can have here. Listen, if you know the rest of this story, you know that the Pharisees and and the religious leaders of that time began to step away from Jesus and they began to plot to kill him. They chased him out of city after city after city and began the process to make sure that he would stop frustrating people. It's sad to say But I'm concerned that Jesus would be chased out of most of our churches today. Look, we as the church need to stop being comfortable, be willing to be uncomfortable. What does that mean? And one of the sweetest moments for me as a dad and as a pastor is to see my kids get involved with You didn't know that was my daughter up here with Alicia. It's very confusing because she's really pretty and I'm not. Now I'm frustrated. But to step into the areas where God's called you are not going to be easy. Listen, there's three people this morning that are taking a step of faith and getting baptized going public, telling the whole church, telling the whole community, I am a follower of Christ. Do you know how uncomfortable that is? Whether you've been comfortable for years or you've just began to kind of sulk in it. Listen, it's interesting. I've studied scripture for a really long time. Do you know what I don't find in there? The gift of Complaining. It's not a spiritual gift. Quit using it as one. I question to you this morning. Will you join the wedding celebration? Because I promise you, Jesus is here at this church. He wants you to be active in your faith. He wants you to deal with the sin that's involved in your life. He wants you to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. Everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. Seems like every message in this Mark series points out something new to us on what our responsibility is to truly live for Christ. Listen, if you don't know me personally, I'm probably one of the most frustrated people in this room on most days. When things don't go the way that I think that they should, they're frustrated. Listen, instead of living with frustration, you and I can live with the peace of knowing who Christ is and spending time with Him. If every day of your life, Started with spending time with Christ, you would be less frustrated. If you truly strive to live for Christ, you would be less frustrated. And the evidence to the world that's around us would look at you and look at me and go, man, why aren't you frustrated all the time? To which our response should be this, Because I've been with Jesus. If you're here and you've gotten too comfortable, I would challenge you. I've read through scripture a ton. and It seems like the steps of faith are always uncomfortable. Whatever that step is, I pray that you would begin to take it. Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for just the opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, I know the unsettling that goes on in a person's heart when the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict them. Father, I pray that you would do that all over this room this morning. or that the same question Jesus was posed with the Pharisees as, why won't you get in line? Why won't you do things my way? Towards Jesus' responses, I'm God. Worship me. Worship with me. Celebrate with me on a regular basis. Father, I pray for those that are frustrated all of the time. May you begin to give them peace. May the testimony to the world that's around us be so evident that we look so different, not because of our countenance or because of our attire, but because we're at peace knowing that we've spent time with you. Father, may you be glorified this morning. Christ, Christ's precious and name we pray, amen. If you would stand, the worship team is going to sing a song of celebration. And listen, I love that Pete this morning has gotten your voices even more involved. And listen, as, as beautiful as their voices are, as beautiful as the instruments that we're going to, to, to play this morning, my hope and my prayer this morning is that you cry out the words to this song. Listen, let your heart begin to cry these words out. Let this become the anthem of your life and let this touch the heart of your soul that you've been with Christ this morning.